0: How do you go about prioritizing where you're going to discover you got to match that level of ignorance up to some level of value, right? Right. And that value is going to have a wide range. And then as you discover more, that range will either skew to the right. Like this is a really billion dollar opportunity yeah. or there's not really anything here. In which case the operative word is next. That's Ralph Morales, III, head of innovation practice at SmartOrg, and Dave Benetti of Denadessa LLC. And also, speaker at the 2019 Lean Startup Conference in San Francisco. This conversation was recorded during the conference, and we're excited to make it available to you as a podcast. Hey, everybody, welcome and welcome back. This is the Lean Startup Podcast, a show about entrepreneurs bringing ideas to life from startups to large organizations, governments, and nonprofits.
1: All right. Well, thanks, everybody. Um, my name is Dave Benetti. We're here at the Lean Startup Conference, and I'm talking, having a conversation with Ralph Morales, the third of SmartOrg. And uh, our topic's really going to be about finance and innovation, which a lot of people like say, ooh, finance and innovation. Oh, yeah. Fun stuff, right? <laughs> yeah. woohoo! Um, but it's really interesting because um, we don't actually often see this. I mean, you hear about uh, entrepreneurs that that eventually become uh you know investors in their own right yep um but it's not often that we actually see people that come from finance that go into innovation, innovation right mm-hmm. that's not the typical path so uh you know particularly particularly for large you know technology companies and big firms so i mean tell me just tell me a little bit about your path
0: right i mean how did how did that come about yeah uh i mean it, it all starts you know young kid in oklahoma moving to the west coast um but i got my start in tech with hp it's a great place to start yeah uh, the hp yeah. way all that yeah um and so i started in finance as just a you know, marketing analyst for marketing. Okay. We were growing like crazy. It was the inkjet days. So, inkjet, okay. So it was like yep. year Up on year right. growth was crazy. Yep. Um, and then eventually I worked my way into a, a finance manager job for R&D for the high-end inkjet portfolio. So mm-hmm. I had about a $1.4 billion R&D portfolio that I was responsible for you know, helping the general managers make decisions on how do we allocate these funds, mm-hmm. huge platforms. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd go to these conferences on real options and stuff, and the oil and gas guys would talk about billions and billions of dollars invested in platforms, and I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, we we have a two hundred or three hundred million dollar platform. Yeah, it's, not, it's tiny. A, it's yeah, yeah. I'm gonna sit over here on the small little <laughs> kid's table, and then you'd meet other companies that in the that were in the valley, and they're like, oh, we're trying to raise five million dollars for our thing, and I'm like, okay, we all face the same dilemma which is you know there's lots of uncertainty on the commercialization side um the core business of inkjet we kind of knew okay we can improve the process and make it stronger leaner meaner faster all that stuff so that was let let me build on that let me build on that because that
1: i think that's a real key distinction because we we often tend to look at the term innovation Mm -hmm. um and believe that it's homogenous and it's not homogenous right Nope. you have you have and we'll just Cut it down to the to the broadest categories. Yeah, three. Um, yeah, there's that. really there's yeah. really three, and I think the person who really developed this most, of course, is Clayton Christensen. Innovators mm-hmm. Dilemma mm-hmm. talk about three main main characteristics, which is sustaining innovation, revolutionary innovation, and disruptive innovation. Yep, and basically in that order of opportunity and risk, right? Where the sustaining innovation is. The things that we do every day to make our product just a little bit better. You gotta pay the bills, got payroll, yep. Uh, legal. And then, <laughs> yep. And then revolutionary, which is okay, there's some technological break, but hey, it still fits within the business model. Yep. So there's huge new opportunity, but I kind of know where it's going to go. Yep. And then of course disruptive, which is nobody can tell, nobody can predict, and can destroy your business. So what so when you're doing your finance, which side of all three, did you focus on one? How did it work?
0: Yeah. I mean, it starts off with the first one, right? Yeah. We know, you know, we called it TIG thermal inkjet, 2.0, 3.0, 4.0, where there was going to be growth. Um, and then I was doing a really good job at that. And they said, hey, we've got this weird and wonderful stuff called new business creation. And that was more of the, let's say, revolutionary. Okay. So we've got skilled people in the house. We've got some intellectual property. Um, let's not make money squirting colored water, let's make something, let's make money some other way. Okay. And um, I really relish that because then it's like, it wasn't finance like, tell me your budget, can you trim 5%, yeah. how can we help meet the quarter? It was all about well, how do we architect this in a way where there's a value proposition in what we technically do, and then how are we going to commercialize that? Because this is so novel yeah. that making a widget, selling a widget ain't going to cut it, yeah. right? And a lot of these were B2B plays, some of them were b 2 b to b b 2 b to c yeah. so so they weren't the standard value chain model yeah. that we were used to. So people start scratching their heads. And what I found was I would just, you know, I have of my job would be like, okay, quarterly, month-end reporting, and then doing those types of things in the annual planning cycles. And then the other half of my job was like this weird thing where I would wake up and it'd be like, wait, today I'm excited to go into work because we're actually, I actually don't know what's going to happen. Right. And this whole thing is going to unfold and we're going to be working on this thing or that thing or this thing. and. I just kind of said, you know what? That this is more appealing to me than the classic yeah, finance yeah, so, job, and yeah. I'm going to switch. Yeah, but that's interesting <laughs> because that's that's not like that's not a very typical financial.
1: mindset. No, I mean, a financial mindset no. is much more of a very quantitative, very specifically focused. And look, I'm, I'm not saying this in a pejorative sense. Yeah, like that, no. that is the engine that keeps business running. Mm-hmm. All those profits that they make are able to fund all the cool things that we innovators do. But it's actually kind of interesting. So. Because, because, because not a lot of finance people make that change, right, no. into that type of more That's right. discontinuous, both either revolutionary or disruptive innovation. So, I mean, why what 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 about you made it exciting as opposed to
0: <laughs> yeah what is that like I'm one of those well I'm proof that people can change right I think 20 years ago I took Myers-Briggs and I was uh, INTJ okay and today I'm an ENTP okay so people can't change <laughs> all right uh, but I think part of it is just being a curious learner like I grew up in Oklahoma right and my dad was a mechanic so it was always like fixing motors fixing cars fixing things right and we didn't call them problems we call them puzzles. My dad always used to say, solve the puzzle, right? People come with problems and they complain, right? Um, People who solve puzzles add value. Right? I'm a mechanic. I, people come to me with a puzzle and I solve it.
1: Just so you know, Ralph, I'm going to steal that. I'm I near
0: a tribute to you. My, oh, wait. Really, okay, yeah. Hashtag steal. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, just <laughs> consider that one stolen. And the other thing he would say is, uh, you know, I, I had 20 20 vision. He didn't have really good vision. And so we'd be working on some motor or something. I could hear it. And I'd be like, oh, I can't see, you know, some valve or some screw I'm supposed to turn. And he's like, well, then you got to feel it. You got to reach back there and feel it. And there's this moment where you're, you're dealing with machinery. Um, you know some of it's hot and some of it is not. And he's telling you, put your hand back there with the wrench and feel for this screw and turn it like a quarter. And there's this moment where you don't know what's gonna happen, like yeah. am I gonna walk away with the third degree burn? And then I get my hand back there, I feel the screw. I manipulate the wrench around and I turn this thing. And then all of a sudden the idol goes right to where it's supposed to be. Yeah. And he's like, sometimes you can't see it. You got to go, you got to go out there and you got to feel it. Yeah. And so this is, I just, it just been always a curious learner, right? It's just always have been precocious. And then, like I said, I, I started my career at HP. So you have great mentors, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then you've got the HP way where people help one another and everybody's listening. And it's just a great company. And so that you know career track of going into finance and then saying, okay, how about this NBC thing? And then why don't you do that full time? they actually had your back for that. Mm -hmm. That was an amazing place to be. And um, HP was doing really well. Carly was supportive of innovative growth. And so, yeah, and so it was just a sunshine moment for new business innovation. Mm -hmm. And so I just basically had this moment where I said, okay, um, I don't really feel so excited about that month and close and annual planning process. Let's just switch over. Oh, so, so tell me then about your first assignment there, your first
1: innovation assignment within that, within that group.
0: Yeah. So, of course, you joined the innovation group, and they're like, great, we got the finance guy on our side now. All right. He switched teams. Um, can you help us with the process? You know, how are we going to show? Because we've been entrusted with money. At that time, it was like, let's say, $10, $15 million a year. Um, it's a very small team, uh, scouts and seeds. And it was like, okay, let's craft a process for seed, series A, What are the metrics that we're going to use for doing investments and the ideas that are brought forward? So a VC model applied to corporate. A VC model applied to corporate. And we did really well. We have tracking and benchmarking metrics. And and I kind of was like, uh, okay, wait, I'm doing the finance thing, but just now in a different role. And then the the boss at the time, Rich Duncan, he's like, no, we, we want you to get out. Um, because we, we want we want you to learn how to do this. So little did I know, learn how to do this meant we're going to chuck you into the deep end, and we're going to have you help out the life sciences vertical. Okay, just for those that don't know, I, I have a I have a mechanical inclination, but I know nothing about life sciences, biotech, any of that. Okay. Um, and so they're like, look, we do precision dispense with our technology. There's this space for drug dis- for drug delivery, drug discovery within the industry. Within yeah. with it using our technology okay. within this industry. Good luck. <laughs> I'm like, uh, uh, do I get a life jacket? Is there is a dinghy or something that comes with it? No, nope, nope, nope. All that, all those numbers you put together and that process you came up with. Yep, that's you going through the course. Yeah. Right. So the good news is I kind of knew where all the obstacles were and what the metrics would be. Um, and so you know, I, I basically embraced it. So I. So I. But I'd like to build on
1: that because I think that. Um, I actually have an hypothesis that that will be helpful. That will be terrible for sustaining innovation.
0: Yes, for that, sustaining, yeah. it
1: would it would make yeah, it would make be it like very wasting innovative. time. <laughs> but for revolutionary and disruptive, I actually think it's an advantage. And the reason I think it's an advantage is because when you. When you are working from the perspective of things that are discontinuous, mm-hmm. is that a word? Yeah. Uh, and uh, you, you can't, you're, the experience that you bring to the table is counterproductive mm-hmm. because it tells you all the things, all that domain experience tells you all the reasons why it won't work. Yeah, and you have to be stupid and ignorant to to believe that that idea that's actually going to be successful. Mm-hmm. Nobody would look at a a, at a real massive opportunity like I, yeah. I just remember the. The, the, the Intuit, no one will, uh, and, and, and mint.com, no one will ever give you your bank passwords or, or, or Brian Chessy Like, no one will ever let you into your house uh, with Airbnb. Mm-hmm. And it took somebody that was too stupid and ignorant of the existing domain to be able to create those opportunities for discontinuity. Yeah. Did that turn out to be your experience? It was.
0: Um, so, when we were managing, it was. So, the sum of all your experiences prepare you for the moment you're in mm-hmm. right now. Right. and when we were dealing with all that uncertainty in that billion dollar portfolio we would talk about uncertainty right there's right. a low band and a high band and it wasn't you know i'm smart you're smart i'm more right you're more right what was more important when you're dealing with uncertainty is why right okay you think that you think the price is going to be 100 i think the price is going to be 10 mm-hmm. we can pull out our brains and bash them against each other or you can say here's why i think it's going to be 100 mm-hmm. i can say here's why i think it's going to be 10 and then let's put that in the value model as a range and then move on to the next assumption and the right. next assumption. And then let's run a simulation across all those assumptions and find out if the one we're arguing over really even drives value. Right. If it doesn't drive value, then you can win. It's okay. I'm going to go work on the high value stuff if that's right. okay. Yeah. right. And so when we're doing new business creation there's tons of uncertainty yeah so then that framework of talking about okay what is it that we don't know and 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 in and something i learned you brought up this word ignorance and I, i i've kind of stumbled upon this for innovators is there's a spectrum of ignorance where there's total speculation yes there's fog you know there's a rock out there it's an unknown unknown right yes and so that has to be discovered but the uncertainty principle would say okay, it's somewhere between 110, I know is the answer. I'm not sure exactly where, if it's closer to 20 or 80, but it's. The answer is discoverable, and so I need to validate it, or I need to specify the hypothesis and go discover it and then there 's stuff that 's like understood, like manufacturing costs will be fourteen dollars and twenty five cents plus yeah. or minus fifteen cents, and shipping from Shenzhen yeah, we know this right <laughs> in those cases, you just manage it right yeah. there 's not really a lot that needs to be discovered, you just need to stay on top of it and so that concept of ignorance from speculation to uncertain to understood. When you're doing new business creation, if you're working on managing stuff, you're not you're working on you know the sustaining innovation yeah but when you're out there doing um either the the speculative stuff the revolutionary or the disruptive, now you're dealing with speculation and high degrees of uncertainty and how do you how do you go about prioritizing where you're going to discover you got to match that level of ignorance up to some level of value right right and that value is going to have a wide range and then as you discover more that range will either skew to the right like this is a really billion dollar opportunity yeah. or there's not really anything here in which case the operative word is next. Yes. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and that's okay.
1: Yeah. It's funny because I think that you mentioned that sort of highly speculative industry of, of gas exploration, right? Which mm-hmm. tends to be this there's massive opportunity. Yep. Um, and there's just an unbelievable amount of uncertainty. And so when I when I when I try to describe this, it's like how do they approach it? Now if you were a corporate, if you took the corporate innovation way and applied mm-hmm. it to gas, then what you would do is you would conduct a really extensive analysis. You'd get out all your maps, and you'd conduct mm-hmm. your surveys. and you, Yeah, more you all, data. More data, more, more data. data, more data. Yeah. And then you'd go build a $10 million rig mm-hmm. over there, mm-hmm. and it would either succeed or fail based on the rig that you bought. Yep. But what do they do? Well, they don't actually do that. No. No. What do they do? They take wildcatting. and yes. so they take really small Little portable drills. rigs, right? Little drills. That couldn't produce a million dollars of revenue if they tried, but nope. they're very cheap, and there's lots of them. And so the analogy I like to use in an industry where they actually do it is they don't drill one big hole; they drill hundred thousand holes, and the goal is to drill as many of those holes as you possibly lots can. Lots of bets yeah general area all bets yeah gonna, small bets yeah i'm not gonna dr- then,
0: yeah, i'm not gonna drill in downtown manhattan that's right yeah we'll go to the back and shale but but i'm gonna drill a lot of holes yeah and one of them comes up with like 1,000 bars worth of back pressure mm-hmm. and guess what now you've got yourself you know the san Antone uh, that's right basin right? And 99
1: of them fail and everybody knows going in that it's going to fail
0: that's right right you're that's trying you're right. trying to provide that that uh portfolio Well, you're you're just trying to uh, you're trying to provide the optionality to the firm, right? That's right. Yeah, and and it is. It's a portfolio um, of options, Mm -hmm. especially when you're talking speculation, Mm -hmm. right? They're going to put in uh, like this example, maybe scaled down for small for corporates, or they might put in between 100k or 500k to do this idea of wildcatting, right? right? And then uh, what you're doing as an innovation director is you're they bought an option. Right. They're pretty savvy. I think that's how we connect. We bridge the dialect between the innovator and the investor, the yeah. executive, yeah. is they know they can't buy a $300 million business for half a million. Right. They can buy an option. Yeah. Right. and then your job as the innovator is to take that $500,000 option yeah. and turn it into a $25 million option. So
1: to, so for the audience that may not be familiar with it, why don't you explain a little bit about how options work and how they might be different than a normal, oh, normal yeah. one Oh yeah, okay, cars.
0: so um, we often use the, for real options we often use the metaphor. Actually,
1: of, describe real options. Ah, describe real options. options. Okay, yeah. so yeah. in, in the start. financial
0: world okay, so I'm, I'll use the metaphor of the financial world if you bought a stock, let's take Tesla I love that stock, um, you would buy the stock, you would put down $300 and now you to own a share of the company and you're out $300. Um, in financial terms, an option would say, you know what? Um, I don't want to own option. I want to I buy the right to buy Tesla. So you would pay $5 or $10 and you get the right to buy Tesla at $250. So Tesla might go up to $300 and you'd be like, sweet, I've got a $10 thing to buy it at a $250. I cash that in. I make $40. Bucks. I'm, I'm, I can you know, take my girl out to dinner. Maybe not. Maybe just drinks. Uh, we're in the Bay Area for all those that are, that are, out, that are sitting out in the in the world. But um, so that's the idea behind options, right? And then if, if Tesla's stock price goes down, the good news is you didn't sink in two hundred fifty dollars. You're only out ten bucks. Yeah, and. What's that operative word? Next. Right? Right, right. So in real options in companies, it's a little bit different because we're not speculating and there's not high frequency trading and AI bots and all this other stuff. There's actually real people doing real work to create value or discover nothing's there. Right. Right. So that's the difference with this term real options is there might be an opportunity in life sciences. There might be an opportunity in IoT for a company like HP. And so they invest in a real option. That $10 for Tesla yep. is a small team. And and some opex money to go explore a space, mm-hmm. and then they come back and they say, "All right, that ten dollar thing, that stock, we thought the value, this uncertain value that we thought was a hundred million, is actually two hundred million. Mm. And by the way, we've de-risked it. We, it's no longer. There's no longer a lot of speculation. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's more uncertain." Right. And for a little more money in an option, yeah. I can buy down the ignorance. I can well we, we amongst us innovative people, we'd say buy down ignorance. Sure. To yeah. an executive, you would de-risk something, <laughs> right? They don't pay you to learn, all right? You already went to MBA school or you got your certificate at Lean Startup. So, right. they don't pay for your education, they pay for results, right? <laughs> right. Right. right? Right? So, we're de-risking things and we're creating opportunities for growth. Okay. Right. So why, why would you use an option type approach? I mean,
1: what is the advantage? What is, what is the purpose of an option, whether you're a wildcatter or whether it's insurance or whether it's the type of thing that you're talking about?
0: It's all about the probability of success. Mm-hmm. So the, the point here is if you had $250, you could buy one stock and you hope. Right. Right? There's a book. Hope is not a strategy. Yes. Well, the better thing when there's high degrees of speculation of uncertainty, what you'd rather buy is 15 projects at $10. Yes. Save 100 bucks in your pocket so that when the stock that pops comes along. Yes. You've got the money to plow in. And so you want to basically you don't want to bet on who might be the winner. Mm -hmm. You want to bet on the fight. And then a fight will ensue, and then you can say, oh, okay, it's pretty obvious Tyson's probably going to take this, we're going to put $100 on him, and then we're, you're in a good position, right? Yeah. So um, boxing metaphors aside, the, um, the goal, the reason why you would take this option space in a speculative uncertain area is so that you can basically create a portfolio, create a swath of opportunities. Yeah discover which ones are good and which ones aren't and then when the when the good ones pop forward when the team comes forward and says oh my gosh this we found gold we've got a decacorn we've got a unicorn opportunity there's two things that happen one as the executive you're like You've been exposed to the opportunity, and it's been de-risked. Yeah. So now an investment-grade proposal is in front of you, right? You know you can't buy it for, like, oh, another $20. You're going to have to put some serious money in, but it's been de-risked. There's still work to be done. Yes. But most organizations, that's their job. They have engineering. They have marketing. It's like, okay, we're going to spool up the machine, get behind this thing, and turn it into something amazing. Yeah, that's
1: great. So I think that that, that, that's actually – I mean, the way that you say it, of course, I – tend to agree, but it it makes it sound easy. Um, In practice, it actually turns out to be really difficult, right? We do see that because while options exist all over the place to take uncertain environments and manage that uncertainty in uncertain environments, Mm
0: -hmm. um,
1: what we actually see is the more traditional approach that's applied to startups, right? As we we muse, like startups are not little versions of big companies. And yet again and again, (laughs) again and again, we see that. And uh, and yet this sort of option approach is trying to say, look, we're building in the uncertainty. Uh, we want to get a lot of shots to get the answer right because we're not certain it will be yep. the right answer. Um, and, of course, what we find a lot is that, that <laughs> there's this interesting psychological phenomenon where people can actually know that an answer is wrong. But if it's delivered with certainty, they'll believe it. yes. Even though they know it's wrong. Is
0: that, is that, do you find that strange? I'm a behavioral ec- economist by, by I, I training. I do. But, you know, and a lot of the thing, a lot it is interesting, <laughs> but a lot of the
1: things that we fight in in, in lean startup is, you know, risk aversion, uh, is um, uh, is uh, 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 confirmation bias, mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of these things with this, this other thing that people would prefer certainty to uncertainty, even when they know the answer is wrong, which to me is, I think, it, as, you would, as, you, as you and I both know, as we move into this space, that's sort of what drives us. But that, to me, is crazy. When you. But when you're, th- but how, so how,
0: so let me, I guess what this is. We, we have a just, game. I, 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 this is interesting because okay. uh, we find this as well. And I have a wasted youth playing Dungeons and Dragons. Ah, so gosh. you've got 20 sided die, eight, eight sided die, 12, 12 sided die. Exactly. Yes. Like, yeah. Okay. So some we have a game. Audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Love. There's some guys over there going, yeah, eight level paladin. That's yeah. Right. I feel you. <laughs> 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 so uh, we actually have a game. Uh And uh, we take out the dice, and um, we basically say, "Hey, you're going to roll this dice to decide if the project is successful or not. And then you're going to roll a six-sided dice for bread and butter, Uh right? So it has a potential outcome from one to six. But then these really uh, this other type of project, which is highly speculative, Mm -hmm. it has a twenty-sided dice. But the dice you roll to see if it's successful is a four-sided dice. And if, if it comes up as a one, it's successful. But two, three, and four, you don't get to roll that, that 20 slider. Interesting. Right? And, and what, this is what you're of, doing at SmartOrg. This is what we're doing at SmartOrg. This is how we basically bridge this, this. This We create a learning moment. I see. And this game basically unfolds what people believe is like pick a safe portfolio. Right? I should pick the ones that are highly likely to be successful and then roll that red dice, and a 3 or a 4 is okay. And as long as I get over 10, I'm a winner. Right? So a safe portfolio is a winner. A safe portfolio is not safe. It is not safe. And we've played this game so many times, and you invest in the oysters where you've got four projects that are uh, low probability of success, but if one of them pops and you roll that 20-sided dice and 18 or 17 comes up, Mm -hmm. um, you have basically won the game Mm. from everybody who played it safe. And so this idea that, you know, you want to have this high volatility, high uncertainty outcomes mm-hmm. that they don't all pay off. But when they do, hallelujah, Yeah, uh, the safe portfolio is not safe. And you actually want lots of shots on goal. Yeah. Um, back to your wildcatting example. That's so true. And I think the other thing that's different about corporate in the real world when we do innovation is we actually control. The, the ability or the, the skillfulness at which we prosecute these opportunities and that's where I think innovation like the lean startup and the lean method, they mash up with finance in a very novel way because The degree to which we can apply our skill and our craft at doing innovation Mm -hmm. to uncover, like, what is the there there is what executives will say. But within our job, it's like, what's the job to be done? What's the value proposition? How are we going to unpack that? Um, And what's the hypothesis? And can we get clever and scrappy about how we test that? Our skillfulness, our craft helps us to increase that value. Right. Right. And so now it's what I do as an innovator Mm -hmm. actually increases the option value and increases the value of what I, uh, of the likelihood of success for those long shots where we get to roll the 20 sided die and say, booyah. (laughs) I mean, what, isn't that a better way to wake up in the morning than say, okay, I got a TPS report due at two (laughs) o'clock, right? That would suck. (laughs) I mean, people need to do that, but that's just not the life for everybody. So, so
1: using these, what what is it called? Learning moments using yeah. these learning moments is the way that you that you get this to be uh, appreciated and understood by. Yes. Okay. So I want to build on this. Like, tell me, like, tell me some more. Like, give me, give me another example of one of this a learning moment that is that is memorable.
0: Effective. Yeah. I mean, maybe I'll pivot this a little bit to the front end of innovation, okay. um, which is this idea of uh, design a personal story. Right. Okay. Let's let's get real for a second, and um, you know I. I live in the Bay Area. Um, St- Stanford alumni, D school design thinking training. So, you know, at the front end of what we do in Lean, there's all this empathy um, and trying to understand what is it that the client's trying to do. And this is a personal story. So, my daughter, uh, on her second birthday, uh, she was provided with she was given a gift of a diagnosis of autism for her second birthday. Hmm. And um, after, you know, we, we were blessed at that time that we were in California, the governator had a great early uh, engagement program. And so, you know, my daughter doesn't fall far from me. She started working 40-hour weeks when she was two and a half, right? <laughs> I, lo- I love that girl. And so after a while, we were meeting with speech therapy, PT, OT, all these folks. And, you know, the prognosis wasn't good. They were saying she had apraxia and that she probably wouldn't talk, mm. right? And so, you know, that... That hits, right? You're a parent and this is your daughter. And I have a trick D. When somebody says something can't be done, um, well, generally I respond immediately in a vulgar way. But maybe an unvulgar way would be like, I'm now going to prove you wrong. Yeah. And they told me my daughter would probably not talk. So I gather up the team and... And they start saying, well, it's going to be hard. You know, she's got to pronounce in mm. and that's it's not a vocal airway sound. It's a it's a it's something else. And she's going to have trouble with H because you have to like breathe out mm-hmm. and B, she has to put her two lips together. And so um, I, I, I kind of was like using design thinking on this and saying, OK, I find this answer of her not talking unacceptable. And we have a girl that wants to tell the world what she wants and what she Mm -hmm. needs. And so I started thinking about this and saying, okay, I need a high-frequency event. Uh, They they gave me this thing like S. So I took these syllables that she was going to allegedly have trouble with, and I put them all together, and I said, okay, give me some words and some things that she might actually ask for that would have these things together. And this girl's really cute. She had a caterpillar. She probably was only two feet tall, and this caterpillar was three and a half. So, uh, and she had this caterpillar she loved to take everywhere and we would say go get the caterpillar go get the caterpillar and so I sat down one night and I was running algorithms on how to mash up all these syllables and I came up with Hobson and so from that moment on that calipito's name became Hobson Mm. and in the beginning we applied ABA and so she would ask for the she'd go "Mm," and she'd do the magic finger thing to make a request and I'd say this is Hobson you have to say Hobson and she would start crying because we would give it to her and so that's painful, but you got it. this is a journey. Yeah. And then she say, ah. "Okay." Mm. She said something, so we're going to give that to her. And mm. ah, became ha, became has, became haba, mm. became hassa, became hobin, became Hobson. Mm. She speaks three to four word sentences now. Uh. Out of those syllables comes words like no. Out of those syllables comes words like, yes. Yeah. She's able to express her needs and her desires because we designed, think, we empathized
1: yeah.
0: an answer for that girl. Uh, that whole team put that together. That's an amazing story yeah.
1: that's great that's an amazing story yeah I think it, and it speaks to that sort of process of taking things in small chunks and um, uh, and and breaking it down into its component parts and certainly saying that um, that We can't do it all. We can't build Rome in a day. We have to just take it into it to to take it its component parts and let's say if we can just do this one little thing. We heard from Diana Kander last yesterday at the conference who was saying like just build a habit. Just one habit. Just one.
0: Atomic atomic habits, right? And it really start with three seconds and then thirty seconds and then and then grow it from there. It really makes a difference. It does. And and I I think, you know, I, I said, you know, the sum of all your experiences prepare for you for the moment you're right in and, you know, maybe another professional story is, you know, I uh, we were at an event at a venue, we were doing um, uh, location based VR. And um, this uh, man and his daughter showed up. And uh, the guy was excited because, you know, he's going to get to move around in free space. Uh, we were testing out an idea and a full-fledged helmet. And we'd come up with this idea that instead of running the cable matrix style from the back of your head up to a yard arm <laughs> over to a workstation, we would just take a, la- a very powerful work- workstation laptop, add some uh, backpack straps to it and some some DeWalt batteries, and basically you could move around in free space without getting your head jerked because you were underneath the hood. And so these, the, they show up. There's the girl and the dad. And I just there was just this moment where the dad's like, do you want to try it, honey? And I could just see that she was, she was, she waited, she had like a pause. And then my, my good friend looked at me and I looked at him and I'm like, okay, I I don't need to acknowledge or say anything. This, this girl's on the spectrum. And I kind of kneeled down on one knee and I'm like, you know, it's actually, it's actually pretty exciting in there. Have you, do you like cartoons? And she's like, yes, very short answers. And I'm like, would you, would you like to play in a cartoon? And she's like, yes. And I'm like okay well why don't we why don't we try some of this stuff on if i press on your shoulders like that does it hurt she's like no i'm like okay what if i cover up your eyes does it does it make you feel scared she's like no i'm like okay well then let's go play in a cartoon yeah and that girl got to experience a fully immersive vr experience and if somebody who didn't have my background my experience was in that moment they'd be like Okay, so here we go. We're going to put this backpack on you and we're going to put the thing. They wouldn't have had that empathy, that knowledge um, to deliver that. And I think that ability to kind of understand our customer and have that empathy and understand what is it that they're going through at that moment. That's that skill. That's that acumen at the very beginning that allows us to figure out what the job to be done is. What what is the thing that really matters here? Yeah. And then build off of that using the muscle, might, and capability of the rest of the organization we belong to to actually build something even more powerful.
1: Yeah, and that muscle, might, and and uh, to the organization that that you belong to, I think is you know and, and, and it has its place, right? I mean, the finance people have their place in being able to take these opportunities when they when they're built out. And to create large-scale systematized processes, right? But in the early stage, when things are uncertain, systemization is exactly what you do not want to do. Systemization is saying this is the way that it's going to be, and we're going to be able to produce a lot of volume out of it. Yep. But it requires, at the earliest stages, that ability to identify the customer and empathize. Nobody
0: knows, right? And nobody knows, right? And and that's a and that's okay because um, a lot of these systems are. Um, they're exploit, right? We've heard this diagram of explore versus exploitation. Right. And so the, the big company that makes billions of dollars, that's all exploitation. They right. have—they were in the explore phase before when they uncovered this innovation or this disruption. Yeah. And now they are going to milk that sucker for that's all right. the cash flow they can. That's right. Um, and that's, that's fair. That's the life cycle that yeah. things go through. Um, but they also have to realize we're in the explore phase. That doesn't mean there's no discipline, yeah. right? I think it's smarter. One of the things I've come up, with um, that, we, we help companies with in, in concert with Lean is this idea that hey, you can score your hypothesis along ignorance and value, and then show executives, like, okay, there's this uncertain value. It could be 100 million or 1.4 billion. Okay. And second of all, I need some resources. Those resources are tied to doing these activities, which are Based on these hypotheses, right, and they go, okay, I see the critical analytical thinking went into this, and there's some logic discipline Mm -hmm. and then you score that and then you say okay we're going to go back and we're going to come back in a design sprint a cycle whatever your company's frequency is and you come back and you say okay here has how we de-risk this it used to have a score of a thousand and now it has a score of 650 we Mm -hmm. think there's one more one more sprint one more cycle and we can de-risk this thing so that it's now an investment grade proposal that you know, you can hand over to a division right. or you can, if you want to park this off to the side and special fund it, great. And the benefit of that is that one, there's a discipline there. Like the executives yeah. know, Oh, is this thing getting bigger or smaller? The resources are fairly small, but they're tied to de-risking. And is it ready to hand over and pull, pour jet fuel on, or right. does it still need some more cycles? they, 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 they it's a process, and when it gets into a regular frequency like these investment boards, two things happen. One, they can make the decisions on them very quickly, yeah. which is an innovator. That's a nice thing to do is say, I'm going to make some resource requests, and they're going to happen really quickly. That's always a, that's a good day for you. And the second thing is the investment boards are typically composed of um, leaders from the divisions that will ultimately absorb them. So instead of the innovators doing something and saying, "Hey, we came up with this great thing," it's now part of your budget. Yeah, and they say, "Thanks, thanks, thanks." Great, I'm now expected to deliver my results. My budget to do that has been decreased by this new project that you've added to it. Thanks a lot. Whereas with this process, they see it coming and they can start to plan and either say, "No, we we think that should be." Yeah, a I, and, and I think that's right. Budget.
1: Yeah, I think that approach is right, and I think that's exactly right. I think that the, the thing that the we're still at the earliest stages of this right where where I would tell an executive look you don't want your engineer to produce your promotional activities you know you don't want your uh you know your marketing person to be writing code Why is it that we have such a difficult time seeing that you don't want your product line managers for your traditional businesses dealing with uh, discontinuous and disruptive innovation? It's it's not
0: good or bad. It's just it's just it's just different. It's just different, and that's absolutely right. It's not that um, the guys working on disruptive or revolutionary are better than the innovation guys. That's if you have that mindset. Anybody out there listening in the world? Break that down, yeah, because that that is that is toxic. When they're, I mean, it might have worked for Jobs with the Mac team and everybody else, yeah. but in most organizations, it is toxic. No, it clearly worked yeah. for them, but the, <laughs> but again,
1: this is another another cognitive issue. The, the it's survivor bias. Yes. So we see Steve Jobs and we see Mark Zuckerberg and we say, Oh yes, well, we must follow them because they had the answer all along. And what we don't talk about is the United Computer Exchange and VisiCalc exactly. and, uh,
0: and all of the companies. Into it. Yeah. There are a bunch of companies that yeah. didn't have to go through that type of, of trauma and toxicity yep. in order to achieve success. Yes. Yeah, so and yeah. we don't talk
1: about the people that don't survive because they didn't survive. survive. Yeah. So uh, and yeah. Sort of that survivor but, bias is what sort of sometimes clouds our judgment. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I, I I share your I share your belief that we need to separate those skills, and I think that I'm I'm looking forward to a day that we're nowhere near yet. But mm. I'm looking forward to the day. The other thing that you talked about, which is this this transfer point, because that transfer point is still needs a lot of work. It's, it's a gray area, and yeah. it does
0: need a lot of work. And I think. Um, you know, yeah,
1: you, the relay race is lost on the baton toss, yeah. not on the individual people yeah. running. Yeah, right?
0: actually, that's a great idea. I'm going to use that in a deck. Right? Oh, because the U.S. team. Was actually, oh, I, I need attribution. Uh, yeah, exactly. No, you don't want to steal each other's steal ideas. ideas. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah, right. okay. the U.S. team was favored to win, and then damn it,
1: you draw. You know, and it's and so it's 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 not that you don't have the most innov- like and those people that are in those early stages, innovation stage mm-hmm. uh, from a three horizons model, like horizon three or. In, options framework model, options stage or ideas. Like that's a specific set of skill sets. And it is very different than your line manager at HP that's working on a hundred million dollar business. It is is a different skill set.
0: And that's why, you know, people come to conferences and get, you know, it's all about how do you, create this continuous learning because uh, you know I think somebody had said fall in love with the problem not the solution yes right and so and and then the other thing is it's there's a portfolio of these and a lot of them will fail so get comfortable with the word next yes right and then when they do become successful it's like okay organizationally in order to capture that value we either have to be prepared either prepare the, the core business yes. to, to receive those or have an acknowledgement from the investment committee that okay if you want to capture this value you're gonna set up a subsid or some special project yes. team or whatever yeah. so that this thing can be planted and flourish. It needs
1: this transition point where you're moving from the innovation into the acceleration um, because that whole point of exploit versus explore—it's like a whole different skill set—and it can't just you can't just turn around and throw it over the wall, yeah. right? It has to be. Yeah. It, and so I'm hoping we can get to the point where those are the types
0: of problems that we're that we're facing. Those would be good problems, and companies I, want those problems. It's like, oh, it sounds like we have to grow now. Oh, boo-hoo. Yes, yeah, like yes. that would be a good problem. Yeah, that's that sounds like good. you're working on all of those things. That's smart. About. Yeah. Yes, we are. That's yeah. we focus on basically connecting innovation and finance to help drive corporate growth. And we do that through consulting engagements. We have a software framework that is basically tied in to uh, a human process for making decisions. So we skill up people. And then once they've got the framework, just like Lean, they're off and running doing amazing things. And what's the word? Next, we, yes. go, on, we yes. go on to the next one. Failure is
1: only uh, failure when it's terminal. Everything else is a setback.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. that's great.
1: <laughs> yeah, super. So, so if people wanted to learn more about it, if people wanted to learn more about what you do and what about SMARTARG, like, like, how, like how would they find you?
0: Yeah, check out our website. Uh, we have lots of case studies at www.smartorg.com. Uh, lots of uh, videos, uh, testimonials from, from some of our clients about how we've uh, made an impact in their organization like DuPont who their CTO has said, look, we use these procedures and we got a 300% return on innovation. Wow. Yeah. Right. So this isn't just talk. We actually, uh, we put uh, rubber to the street. That's fantastic.
1: Well, I've been chatting with Ralph Morales III at SmartOrg. Ralph, it's been such a pleasure. I really appreciate yeah, your Yeah, I thoughts appreciated office. it, David. All right. Thank <laughs> you. This is Dave Benetti. Thank you very much for joining us.
0: Big thank you to Ralph and Dave for joining us at the conference and hosting this conversation. We also have a blog post to go along with this episode, which you can find at leanstartup.co forward slash blog.